0: to this week's A Photographic Life. If you read the information panel about this podcast on Spotify, iTunes or SoundCloud, you will see this quotation. To take a photograph is to align the head, the eye and the heart. It's a way of life. Henri Cartier-Bresson said that, The same words were chosen by photographer Tom Stoddart at the beginning to his contribution to this podcast, all the way back in episode 13, suggesting what photography meant to him. Tom died last week, and the photographic community in the UK mourned the loss of a great photographer, storyteller, friend, and positive force. His book, Eyewitness, is one that will sit in the canon of iconic books, as many of his images will continue to be recognised as iconic. Moments captured for history. That is his legacy, and it is an important one. May he rest in peace. I recently received a Twitter tweet from Stephen Mays, the writer and thinker on photography and the executive director at the Tim Hetherington Trust. He alerted me to an article that he'd written titled On Photography, Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered, which appears on the uh, Seven Agency website. He said this in part within that article. We are at such a point now as the old technology of photography gives way to the new digital medium, for which, as yet, no name exists. So we call it photography, and we think of it as photography. We teach it as photography, and we practice it as photography. And maybe this transition is the exception, because after all the digital image looks very much like photography. And until now, it's even being made with the same legacy equipment from the analogue age. Modified slightly with the film plane replaced by an electronic sensor. If this is really our best understanding of digital imagery, maybe it's not so different even from drawing. So why not call it such if that is what it is? But it isn't. The digital image is made using a radically different technology that is no longer indexical but computational. It performs different functions and its place in culture is evolving rapidly and it's changing culture as it goes. The discussion of analogue versus digital as distinctly separate media might sound arcane, an intellectual exploration of semantics with little practical purpose in daily life. Who cares how history will regard our nascent exploration of the digital media? Here are two reasons why we should care. Firstly, as naive inhabitants of digital culture, we are at immense risk of fraud or deceit. If we persist in looking at digital imagery and assessing it as though it were equivalent to traditional analogue photography, we will be susceptible to the sort of fraud that has plagued the world press photo in recent years, requiring the forensic validation of every pixel before declaring an image to be fit for human consumption. It's a perilous perspective that causes the viewer to constantly doubt what they see. Secondly, as communicators, why wouldn't we want to harness the new powers that could enhance our work? Well, I was quite struck by that because I've got to be honest, for me, Stephen sounds like a brother from another mother. I've been talking about the use of the word video when associated with moving image for the last 10 years at least. And I have to agree with him around the idea of embracing new technologies. As any listener to this podcast will know, it's something I return to again and again. Quite interestingly, when I do turn to those ideas of the embracing of new technology, when I write an article about it, most often the figures are not very high. The readership, the audience for it isn't there. Perhaps intrinsically, what we're saying is that photographers are conservative. I have to say, with a very small c at that point, I'm not going to accuse you of anything other than that on a political agenda. However, I think what we're talking about here and what Stephen is suggesting is that we need a new word to replace the word photography. Well, I think it's a really interesting debate and a discussion point. But good luck with that in a situation where photographers are so entrenched in what they think and what they believe to be photography across the broader spectrum, whilst arguments that digital still is not photography because it's not a photographic image, not because of what Stephen is saying, but because it isn't film, which maybe is what Stephen's saying. Maybe I'm getting confused here. Maybe this is a big debate, a big discussion. I'm not sure, but I certainly agree with what Stephen said, and I thank him for alerting me to that article. As I say, just a small extract there, which I read for you. I think it's okay to be confused. I don't think you have to know the answers to everything. And I think what I was just demonstrating there, I suppose in real time, is I think I understand where I stand on this, but maybe I don't. Maybe Stephen and I should sit down, open a bottle of wine and have a good chat about it. Or perhaps we'll end up on a Zoom call at some point, having that discussion. I think that would be good. But maybe you should also be having that discussion with yourself. Is photography no longer photography? This week, we welcome to the podcast a photographer who is certainly looking to the past to influence the work that she's creating in the present. And I don't just mean the past as far as photographic history is concerned. Ilona Langbroek, and I hope I said that uh, pronounced that correctly, I should say, graduated with honours from the Photo Academy in Amsterdam in 2019 and is now based in Hilversum in the Netherlands. Lambroke invites the viewer to become part of a memory through metaphorical representations of memories and fantasies. Utilising a strong contrast between light and dark, she creates a twilight zone aesthetic as a metaphor for the disappearing past. To achieve this, she uses the soft lighting used by painters of the 17th century Dutch Golden Age, such as Vermeer Rembrandt or the Italian painter Caravaggio. This approach has led to numerous bodies of work, including the series Silent Loss, a personal series based on her family history in the former Dutch East Indies. Langbroek has been presented with numerous awards for her work already and been exhibited internationally.
1: What does photography mean to me? Photography is a personal journey for me. It's a way of expressing myself and a kind of therapy for dealing with things of the past. As a child, I was a dreamer, often with my mind absent, shut off from the rest of the world in another place where it was more beautiful. By reading books, I was more or less hiding from this real world. In my mind, all these stories played out visually like a movie. I liked to create my own stories according to these dream images. Also, I could completely lose myself in drawing and painting. These were my first steps towards visual development. It was a kind of safe haven for me. I am the granddaughter of an Indonesian woman and a soldier of the Royal Dutch East Indies Army who both had to leave the Dutch East Indies after the capitulation of Japan in August 1945 with their children. The pain and trauma they experienced during the Second World War and the subsequent deportation out of the Dutch East Indies have spread throughout the next generations. The tensions that have always been present in my family have shaped me into a bit insecure person. During my education at the Photo Academy in Amsterdam, I wanted to do something with all these feelings. I wanted to express my family's past in images, but in such a way that I could ease the pain and open things up for more discussion by making images in a poetic way and deeper layers. Thus our common past of nearly four centuries with current Indonesia seeps through several generations. Therefore, for better and for worse, the relationship between the Netherlands and the former Dutch East Indies has left its mark to this day. My photo series, Silent Loss, is about this past and the blending of the Dutch and Indonesian cultures, as well as the violent changes forced on both countries by the Second World War. Due to aging, the first generation Migrants of the Dutch Indonesia is slowly disappearing and their oral history is fading. While I have tried to transfer the emotions of these stories into images, I search for objects and locations connected with this past. I have created poetic pictures with a metaphorical representation of this oral history, adding the memories and my own fantasy. And with a stark contrast, On the one hand, a mythical country full of warmth, splendor and beauty. But on the other hand, of violence, oppression and war. So, in my present-day photographs, I have chosen to express an atmosphere of nostalgia and sadness. But also of poetry and beauty. Trapped between light and dark, I create a twilight zone as a metaphor for the diminishing past. By doing so, I realize that I have created my own story. But I try to remain true to the history of a fading generation as much as possible. For in the end, it's not just a story of my grandparents, but a story of an entire generation forced to leave their country, never to return. But also the story of so many refugees in our world. Even now, it is happening in Afghanistan.
0: Thank you, Ilona, for your contribution this week. So often we've turned to uh, the Netherlands for photographers to contribute to this podcast. Not quite sure why that is. Apart from the fact, I suppose I've always had great experiences over there, and I seem I suppose to be led towards that work. Maybe it's something to do with that cold North European light that I I seem to like so much. Uh, If you're not aware of Ilona's work, then check it out as always. For me, there's a certain kind of informed by uh, Helen Van Meen's work, who another contributor to the podcast, a number of episodes ago. There's a, a quietness and a a beauty, a serenity, and a classicism in both of their work that reminds me of the uh, the documentation, the dramatisation, I should say, of the book, The Miniaturist. If you're not aware of that, maybe you want to check that one out. Also, this is certainly a podcast that jumps around through cultural themes, and I suppose, in a way, it's wonderful to hear that influence that 17th-century painting has had in Alona's work in the use of light and the construction of the photographic portrait. It's something I often talk to students about. Look back, not just back into photographic history, but go right back into painting. There's so much inspiration there that's rich and rewarding. So, once again, thanks very much, Alona. And as I said, do check out her work. Quite often on this podcast, we sort of segue from one nugget to another nugget and there's a certain connection going on. Well, this time there's none whatsoever because I want to talk about something completely different. And that's turning down a job. Why sometimes you need to in educating your client it's very difficult to do that, but it's certainly something I've spoken to photographers about for certainly the last, I think, 40-odd years. I can remember back in the 90s, photographers coming to me and saying, well, you know, I want to do this kind of work, but I'm doing this kind of work. How do I make that jump? How do I move from here to there? And I always used to say to them, it's going to be tricky because you're probably making good money out of doing the work you're doing, and it's keeping you busy. But the only way then to move on to perhaps what could be perceived as a more prestigious client or body of work was to stop taking that other work and start heading towards that new frontier. It would often mean a period where commissions wouldn't come in or commissions would get rejected. But invariably, it worked out for the photographer. And there are a number of very successful photographers now who I gave that advice to that it did work for. So, there's proof out there. Obviously, I won't name them. However, what I'm seeing at the moment is because of the economic situation that photographers find themselves in, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to turn down a job. But unfortunately, many jobs need to be turned down, primarily because the client has an expectation which is completely and utterly unrealistic. It may also be work which has no connection with the work that you actually do. The perception of the client is that you've got a camera and therefore you can take photographs of anything in any way. Of course, we know that this is not true. There are certain areas of expertise. I wouldn't go anywhere near photographing a wedding or an event because I wouldn't have a clue how to handle it. People who do that are highly skilled in those areas. They have the equipment, they have the softwares required, and they know how to budget and to charge for that work. I don't. But I am seeing a lot of photographers having to take work, as I say, that ordinarily or previous to COVID, they wouldn't have taken on. Now, why is it a good idea to turn that work down? Well, there's always a process, as we know, of having to educate the client. The client who comes through to you with an expectation that you're going to have to re-educate. But in that re-education is always that danger that the client will disappear. Because what you're pointing out to them are some cold, harsh realities, most often to do with budgets, fees, copyright issues, usage. They're the key areas where most clients are completely and utterly devoid of information or knowledge. So therefore, the photographer takes on that risk. If that hurdle is crossed, if it if you've got over that hurdle, if you've been through those conversations and the client is saying to you, yeah, okay, let's go ahead, you're still putting yourself in a dangerous area if you're putting yourself in a place where you don't feel comfortable. The work may not be to the standard that you'd hoped. But perhaps most importantly, it may not be to the standard that the person commissioning you wants it to be at. It can leave a bad taste. It can also leave a situation whereby the client doesn't want to pay you. Nobody needs that kind of stress. Nobody needs those kinds of issues brought into their life and particularly not now. So my suggestion is always to look for the clients that understand your work and to work for those clients. Work with the clients that you can have a conversation with and walk away from those clients where you can see that danger lies ahead if you continue with the commission. I suppose in a way what I'm preaching is something very, very difficult, but I think it's really important. So, if you are out there listening to this and you're in that situation as to whether or not you should take on a commission, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should listen to those good demons who are saying to you, Do you know what? You need the money, but you can't do the job. I don't want a plumber to do my electrics, and I don't want an electrician to do my plumbing. And I think in photography, we have to recognise from a commissioning perspective that areas of specialisation have to be respected. By doing that, what we do is we allow areas of the community to flourish and hopefully we can find our own place within that community where we too can flourish. That's the ideal. That's the plan. I know It's not always an option. I know that it isn't always going to work out that way, but I think we need to aim for it. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. I certainly always enjoy creating the podcast, getting back into the shed, and what I suppose in reality is talking to myself. But so many of you email me and get back to me about things we talk about in the podcast. I guess someone's listening. And if you're listening... And if you're enjoying the podcast, just take care.